Schoolish of greetings to every single one of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard are, of course, courtesy of my good friend Bobby Mackey, and as always, I am your host, Tessa Morrow. So before we hop, skip, and jump and dive right into this episode, I wanted to share something with you guys an announcement. One of my friends, Joshua Holly, has, and we're going to play that in a second, but I just need to say something about this dude. He's really an awesome guy, a mutual friend of ours, Hollywood stuntman Rick McCollum. He had told me, hey, you're going to Tombstone. You need to run into this dude, Josh. He's an awesome guy. He, you know, whatever. And I told him, okay, where does Josh work? And he's like, oh, I don't know. You'll, you'll just see him maybe. So in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to ask every single dude there. Are you Josh Holly? Are you Josh Holly? And so we get to Tombstone a couple years back and we step into the epitaph and the very first, that was the first place we stop at. And I see this book. I tell my boyfriend and my friend, hey, you guys, this guy has the same name as the person I'm supposed to be looking for, Joshua Holly. So I look at the guy and I was like, hey, do you know this guy? And he's like, yeah, I know him. He's like, I'm him. (laughs) And so it's just kind of really funny that the first person, without even trying to look at first, this is the first person I met. But anyway, Josh Hawley has an announcement, and I am so happy to share that. Hello, everyone. This is Josh Hawley from Tombstone, Arizona. And I actually have a YouTube channel that I just started. And Tessa said I could tell you about it. And on the number one podcast for the paranormal, how could I say no? So I gracefully said, absolutely, I want to talk about it. So as many uh, of you don't know, I'm interested in the paranormal. I've been doing paranormal for over 20 years. And I've also been studying NDEs, which are near-death experiences. I'm sure you guys know plenty about that. Now, I actually decided I'm going to put a YouTube together and try to entice people to the fact of NDEs and spread awareness because trust me it's really people just don't know about it so i got together i put up the youtube channel and i'm going to tell you what it is it's uh freakier things everybody's seen stranger things well this is freakier things f-r-e-a-k-i-e-r-t-h-i-n-g-s and tessa you're amazing thank you so much for the opportunity i really want to talk to you guys soon on the show so uh Book me a date. Come on, let's do this. Anytime, Josh. Anytime. I would love to have you on the podcast. We will definitely make it happen. I'll be in your neck of the woods in October. So looking forward to seeing you. Maybe get some investigating going. And you guys, yeah, be sure to check out Freakier Things on YouTube. You will not be disappointed. Dead man. Dead man walking. Tennessee State Prison. Located in Nashville, 
The original prison was built in 1831, and it was demolished in 1898. But before it was destroyed, during its time as a prison, in 1863, the Union Army temporarily converts the state prison into a military prison. Now, it was already overcrowded, mind you, and it's not like they transferred the inmates who were already there to another institute. No, they stayed along with the military prisoners. It was already overcrowded, and they definitely needed a bigger facility. So another prison is constructed in February of 1898, costing $500,000. This new prison is equipped with 800 micro cells, one inmate per cell. You want to hear about a major overcrowding experience that takes place here at TSP? It did not take long at all for this to happen. In fact, the very first day that it opens its doors, 1,403 inmates are brought in, and they only have 800 single-person cells. Yikes. Not good. This Victorian architecture made Tennessee State Prison look like an enchanting castle, really. Gorgeous on the outside, but as we all know, looks can be quite deceiving. This prison sees over 100 executions and is home to the ever-so-notorious old Sparky. Some of those to be executed here is Julius Morgan, Charles Barr, and Curly Ballard. Julius Morgan was a serial rapist and an escape risk inmate. He was the first to be executed via electrocution with help of the electric chair, a.k.a. Old Sparky. July 13th, 1916. The day has come. His head cleanly shaven. The man, he walks down death. He walks the death walk to the execution chamber where old Sparky is about to get broken in. They seat him. They strap him in. Four minutes later, one of the guards flips the switch. The first jolt does not kill Julius, the rapist, and it takes a second jolt going through his body to complete the death sentence. He's pronounced dead there three minutes after the first switch was flipped. Now, prior to his death, he was quoted saying, I got in the habit of taking a drink of whiskey in the morning, and when it was cold and frosty, and the habit just grew on me. The next thing to whiskey that led to my ruin was bad women. Okay, I'm sorry. I have to interrupt this dude real quick. What made them bad? The fact that they did not want to be raped or touched by the sky and perhaps resisted? I mean, how dare they? I would advise young men to stay away from the red light district. Bad women like bad whiskey will lead young men and old men alike to destruction. So... Obviously, it sounds like even to the day that he died, he was blaming others for his horrific actions. It's, it's sad, you know, it's like, own up, dude, just own up. Now, the next person is Charles Barr. He was a serial killer who took pleasure in murdering young people at Lover's Lane. 
known as the Petting Party Bandit or the Black Panther. He gets a final date, and this one will be shocking as it's with Bill Sparky. He is executed 10 years and 23 executions after Julius. Curly Ballard owns a pool hall, but he wanted more. Having his own business, which I believe was successful at the time, wasn't enough for Curly. He was a greedy man, and he resorts to taking out life insurances on unsuspecting young men. His last victim will be his downfall. One fateful day, 17-year-old Willie Green is found outside of the Bluff City Highway, and he dies hours after being found. When police go to question Curly, they find him in bed reading the $192 insurance policy that he had taken out for the victim, Willie Green, who had just died. And hmm, guess who is the beneficiary? Yeah, you guessed it, you guys. Curly Ballard. Caught red-handed with damning evidence. And because of this, the last seat he will experience is an old Sparky. One hour, four men, a quadruple execution, and four light dims. The only one of its kind here in Tennessee history. Tom Christmas, John McClure, Otto Stevens, and Charles Petrie, they fry for their crime. Kind of rhymes, fry for their crime, maybe not. They rob George Andrew Lewis and taxi driver Andrew Crumley. During this robbery, they kidnap the men and bind them, and then they slit their throats, leaving them for dead. George Lewis will sadly die due to his injuries, but Andrew survives, and he works himself free from those bonds, and he makes his way to a nearby farm where help finally comes. After the murder and attempted murder, the murderous gang conduct another robbery, their final act, and they're caught while doing so. Andrew is brought in, where he is able to identify the men who did this to him and George. Now, some of the men on death row, they actually commit suicide to escape the clutches of the electric chair. Many believe they remain here, haunting what's left of the prison. I just think if a man sincerely repents on what he'd done wrong, he might get to go back to the time that was happiest for him. Parts of the Green Mile were filmed here, especially the exterior shots. So take a look at that movie. Again, that's actually one of my favorite movies. I love the Green Mile. And I'm always so sad at the end when John Coffey dies. I mean, you know what's happening and it's just like, oh my God. I actually got to meet one of the people in that movie a few years back when he was filming Lone Ranger in Colorado. He came by a few times, Barry Tepper. And he is fucking awesome. He was so friendly. We actually chatted and he was letting me know that I told him how I make scarves for grizzly bear causes and how it's my favorite animal. And he said, Hey, my name's Barry, but people call me bear because I love bears so much. So we kind of had a little tiny mini bond with the bear. But anyways, really cool guy jumping back to the green mile. Great movie. If you watch it, exterior shots, that is Tennessee State Prison.
really cool. Now, what's interesting about this is that the movie itself takes place, as we know, in Louisiana in the 1930s, where obviously executions were happening, but it wasn't due to the electric chair. They were hangings back then. Louisiana didn't actually introduce the electric chair until I believe it was like 1940, but it's still really cool seeing the prison in this movie for sure. And Green Mile, it's not alone, obviously. Many other movies have been filmed here, including Walk the Line and Ernest Goes to Jail. Like cigarette or black holes? No, I'm afraid of the dark and cigarettes will kill you. Gotta love Ernest, seriously. My favorite Ernest movie is Ernest Scared Stupid. That movie cracks me up to this very day. Booger lips. Anyways, long before movies were filmed here, this was a notorious and deadly prison. Some of the most horrific criminals were housed in this maximum security prison. One person who served time here and died here, not not from execution, but just died here, was the man who murdered Martin Luther King. Yeah, James Earl Ray. Hard labor was expected from these hardened criminals. Often they would work around 16 plus hours a day. The money they would have made for this went back into the prison system. So in a way it was basically they were paying rent to be living in this luxurious castle of a prison. And it wasn't just them working for the prison. In fact, private companies opened factories within the prison walls and would use the convicts for their labor as well. Talk about cheap labor. Now this prison it was notorious for the way they treated the prisoners. Life was rough. They were doing their time and then some. The prison offered no ventilation, no heat. So you were either freezing your kanigis off, as cold as an ice cube chilling in the Arctic, or sweating the day away. The inmates were not allowed to receive phone calls or have any visitors unless it was kind of like a life or death situation. Now, it's no shocker that with these conditions come riots and escape attempts. They kind of go hand in hand, actually. In 1902, 17 inmates are successful in blowing up one of the prison wings. This will kill one inmate and two managed to escape and were never found or recaptured. In 1907, in an attempt to escape the prison, several inmates manage to take control of a switch engine and they drive it right through the prison gates. And in 1938, several inmates attempt to escape. It's like a massive escape, but they're unsuccessful. While none managed to escape the confines of TSP, they did major damage. Several fires were started, one destroying the main dining room with several inmates trapped inside. I wasn't able to find out if anybody died from that or what, but that's not good. And in 1975, a riot takes place after the cafeteria runs out of pork chops before being able to feed everyone. And somebody might laugh and just say, oh, that's ha ha ha. Like, isn't that silly or goofy or pathetic or stupid? But if you kind of look at it in the person's eye, they're not like free, free people like us where we could, you know, go to Texas Roadhouse and get a nice big old steak or, you know, go to Taco Bell and get a, you know, whatever 
you like. Imagine being locked up in prison. And like I said, you're there, you're doing your time, but you also deserve a meal every once in a while. And, you know, you're probably looking forward to that pork chop, right? I mean, it's been a while, you want one, you're getting it, and then all of a sudden, oh, sorry, you know, you're not getting it. I mean, I could see how things like that could kind of go out of control, but, you know, sadly, one person does die due to this pork chop riot, and 39, they're badly injured. So it might have seemed like a minimal thing, but it was a pretty big deal. So in 1983, several inmates, and I mean, when I say several inmates, I mean present and former, they file a class action lawsuit against the state of Tennessee, claiming that TSP was excruciatingly overcrowded and the treatment is harsh and the living conditions are shitty and they're being forced into this horrific labor and they're not even getting any compensation for this labor. Several riots, they do occur, and not just here, but in 1985 alone, two years after the lawsuit was filed, several riots erupt throughout the Tennessee prisons. At Tennessee State Prison that year, a riot occurred, which caused $1.7 million in damages. As several fires were started and guards, they were held prisoner. After the riot at TSP, one inmate writes this. Whatever meager privileges we still retain, we will now gamble away. Our backs are to the wall. We have no illusions that we will be rescued from afar. It is our fight. We shall accept the consequences together, whatever they may be. The, you know, things need to change. Governor McWhorter, he knows things need to change, and he launches $300 million into constructing newer prison beds, giving them all manicures and renovations. The rebuild program proves to be successful, and one of the first to open is Riverbend Maximum Security Institute, and this one ultimately replaces Tennessee State Prison. Now, by 1992, there are only, I believe, 215 inmates left. And in June of 92, the very last inmate, Billy Sadler, is escorted personally by the governor of Tennessee himself to another facility, and Tennessee State Prison closes its doors forever, ever, ever. The Department of Corrections still owns this property, so this is a very strict no trespassing location, and it's very much on private property. Do not dare enter. All trespassers will be executed. Oh, I mean prosecuted. That's right, my friends, so big time do not go. Now, in May of 2020, an EF tornado, which is about, you know, 136 to 165 miles per hour, came through and caused major damage to this already dilapidated, abandoned, asbestos-filled prison. March 2nd and 3rd, several tornadoes, in fact, unforgivingly barreled throughout the great state of Tennessee, and... Heartbreaking enough, it did kill at least 25 people. Now, to me, one death is one too many, you know. 
man, those tornadoes and hurricanes are no joke. That's why I leave North Carolina during hurricane season because I just cannot deal with it. I do not do good when it comes to catastrophic things like that. I would be the person in a fetal position in the corner crying, making things worse. So there you go. But my my heart, love, thoughts, and prayers go out to the 25 people who did die due to these horrific tornadoes in May of 2020 in Tennessee and to their families too, of course. Now, going back to the prison, I did see somewhere that it possibly is being renovated ditching some of the asbestos and making it where someday, hopefully, fingers crossed, that it can be used for tours as it forever is ingrained in Tennessee history. And of course, who knows if that's accurate? Don't know, but that would be really awesome. Times, they weren't always horrible here. They would have live performances for the inmates. Some of the talent included the lovely Loretta Lynn, the amazing Johnny Cash and his wife, June. In fact, Johnny would perform here several times and even recorded an album of one of his concerts here. So a neat live prison concert. And while I'm unsure if Elvis actually performed here at TSP. He did come here to visit an inmate, the front man from the prisoners, Johnny Bragg. And one day, music aside, at another prison, a deer falls over the wall and it soon finds itself at TSP where it recovers and is nursed back to health by the inmates. They raise it, they love it, they enjoy taking care of it, and they name the beloved deer Geronimo. Now, I found some experience from people online when it comes to the paranormal, and again, this is kind of like a no trespassing location for now at least, but Many who've came in here have claimed to have heard unexplainable sounds, hearing clink-like sounds in what looked to be at least empty cells, and screaming, blood-curdling screams echoing throughout the prison grounds. And people have also heard footsteps. They feel cold spots, and they have seen apparitions. Now, I did also see some accounts from people who either worked there at some point or were associated in other ways. One man shared that in the mid-1980s, he was a correctional officer there. And one night he was in the middle of his shift in Tower 6, which is located above the ball field. And it's past 3 a.m. This guy has been working a double shift. He's beyond tired and he starts to kind of fade away when suddenly he hears footsteps on the catwalk, a place where nobody should be at this time of day or, you know, morning. The CEO, he jumps up. He's now alert, right? He's not sleepy anymore. He looks through each window. No one in sight, like at all. A moment or so later, headlights present themselves and the corporal suddenly appears. 
He asks the CEO if he had recently been on the catwalk, in which he replies, No. They walk over, and both men see a set of footprints going all the way around the specific tower. The CEO boots are even inspected by the corporal, and clearly those prints are not from the same boot. They also notice that those same prints are right behind the chair that he had been sitting in. Like, talk about creepy. Someone was watching the dude fade away into Never Never Land. Another account, one woman shared that her mom had worked in the administration part. And when they shut down, everyone kind of came together for a reunion, talk about old times, get together, reminisce, whatever. At some point, they went to the death house where old Sparky sat. Now, this girl, she just starts to take several pictures, or she tries to at least. Her camera, as soon as they go into the death house where old Sparky is, her camera starts malfunctioning, and then it just kind of stops working altogether. She had used the camera in other parts of the prison earlier with no issue at all, and as she leaves the death house, it starts working again. Been there, done that, super annoying when that happens. And I saw one account about a woman and her husband who for a short time lived here in the Warden House from 2010 to, I believe, 2011. During their time there, they experienced many things, things that they could just simply not explain nor debunk. They would hear footsteps walking up and down the stairs at night. Lights would turn off and on by themselves. They had plumbing issues. A plumber came several times and could never detect any issues whatsoever. One time, the faucet turned on by itself. During the night when no one else was around and succeeded in flooding the entire third floor. Like, oh my god, what a colossal pain in the ass, right? Another time, the stove was turned on to 450 this was a true shocker because it had been weeks since this family had even used the oven. So why is it all of a sudden on 450? Like, whoa. And at night, it wasn't rare for them to hear odd, bizarre sounds coming from in the prison when nobody was there. So really crazy stuff. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They are all pretty awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry. Just hit up any of those podcast platforms, such as Hub Hopper, Player FM, Apple Podcast, Deezer, CastBox, Spotify. Wherever you may roam to listen to your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Amherst, Massachusetts, Periopolis, Pennsylvania, Moon, Wisconsin, Costa Mesa, California, and Sethagaya, Japan. You guys, as usual, thank you so much for making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. You guys are so greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. Have an idea for an episode. Haven't heard your country or state in an episode yet? Throw a suggestion my way. I'm trying to get there. 
you can always get a hold of me on the Paranormal Prowlers podcast page on Facebook or Paraprowl on Twitter or Paraprowl at gmail.com. Thank you, and we will see you next week.